everyone, and welcome to MLS Assist, a podcast created to give insight into the tactical side of Major League Soccer. I'm your host, Joe Lowry, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jordan Angeli. Jordan, we've got a light at the end of the tunnel. MLS is coming back. How are you? Oh my gosh, isn't that amazing? It just You say that and I have a big smile on my face. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm excited to, you know, we're getting more and more soccer for sure. As far as sports go, live soccer has been the biggest, I would say, sport to come back all over the world. And uh, it, it's nice that it's going to start coming back here in the U.S. too. 100%. Last week, on Wednesday of last week, MLS announced that they're Really cleverly named MLS's back tournament will start on July 8th, which is definitely welcome news for us. I think we, we talked about this last week when the move was reported that this tournament in Orlando was going to be starting up. And now it's, it's official because of that upcoming tournament. Today's episode where you and I are going through 10 American MLS players who are ready to make the move to Europe. This show is going to be our last non-MLS's back related show for a while. Um, right. But I think our listeners need to trust us. We've got some pretty exciting new things planned for our coverage of that actual tournament that we'll make sure to get out to them as July gets a little bit closer. Yeah, I like that. You're just teasing him a little bit. You threw that line out there. You guys are going to have to stay tuned. And I feel bad. I feel bad. But I think it's wise to wait just a little bit. And yeah. I will I will give a sneak peek of what we're doing. So next week, we're going to go through the, the tournament format. We're going to go back and forth with our impressions of the draw, talk about some matchups that we're interested in or some things that we, we think are particularly interesting tactically and on the field. We might talk about the style of play that we could see from a lot of these teams in the tournament and the potential for some regression in terms of how these teams play. And then hopefully, I think you and I both would like to take a few listener questions on that show. So if you've got any yeah. tactics-based things that you guys are curious about, you can find us on Twitter at MLS Assist Pod. Let us know and we'll do our absolute best to answer the, the best ones on the show. Yeah, I think so. I think that's a great way to go because we've had some good listener questions in previous episodes and so we figured before we get back into playing might as well see what you guys have to say and what you're thinking about we've had some fantastic questions and i'm sure that's going to continue um over the next couple of weeks as we get prepared for this tournament as excited jordan as i am and i'm sure as you are to get actual mls games back we're not quite there yet today we've got a whole slew of promising young americans to talk about sort of similar to last week's format right last week we analyzed 10 non-american mls players who we think are ready to make the jump to Europe to further their careers and advance MLS as far as their perception around the world. Today, we're pretty much following the same format, right? It's going to be the same setup. We've got 10 American guys. We're going to go back and forth on them. Um, just to give a quick refresh of the rules, players must be with an MLS club for at least one year. They can't be on loan. They've got to be under 26 years old. And we've got the LAFC rule, which I think for the American version, we should name the FC Dallas rule. Um, yeah. We didn't talk about that, but that's just something I thought of. Um, which means that no more than two players from any one team can be on our list. The only rule that's different is just the, the domestic player rule. So last week, they couldn't be American. This week, they have to. Unfortunately, and this was 100% my bad, Jordan, because of how uh, these rules were constructed, there's one guy who we unintentionally wrote out of contention to be on either one of these lists, and that's Mark <laughs> Anthony Kay. Um, you and I talked about it earlier this week. That was, uh -huh. that was my bad. I was constructing the format of these last couple of shows and unintentionally did not give Mark Anthony Kay a shout out last week. And he's Canadian, so he can't be in this week's show either. So I think LAFC fans got enough content last week. But just to get that out there, that is, that is my mistake. And I'm sorry to Mark Anthony Kay. Yeah, and we feel like that list wouldn't be actually fulfilled if he wasn't on there, right? Right, from exactly. Last week. And I don't, we had talked about him and then he didn't even make it on our honorable mention when we talked about... 
LAFC. So it's just funny how that kind of worked out. But uh, yeah, here's our apology. And he is on that list. There you go. As an honorable mention. Retroactively, he is <laughs> right. on, on the list for both weeks now. So he gets double yes. the love. Um, Jordan, is there anything else you want to hit at before we get into our players here? No, I'm actually, I was excited about last week, but I think this will be, it, as a person who is an American, right, and roots for the U.S. men's national team, this got me pumped about some of the players that are coming through the system. 100%. I think the, I think there's a difference here in the players we talked about last week and this week. Because these guys are American, we had a smaller player pool to draw from. A lot of these guys are younger and they're less established in MLS, but I still think I still think they're ready to move, maybe in a different sense. Maybe they haven't showed as much in MLS, but their promise, their potential, and the desire that a lot of European teams have to get an American into the system, to tap into the talent pool that is here in MLS and in the United States, I think that makes these moves just as relevant as the ones we talked about last week. Yeah, no, I agree with you. That, that's a good point. All right. Jordan, you want to start us off? Sure. Um, well, well, you mentioned the team already, FC Dallas. We know that they are always churning out youth uh, players left and right. So I'm starting with Paxton Pomichol, uh, 20 years old. He signed in 2016. So he's 20, year old, 20 years old now. So he was a youngster when he yeah, signed. Yeah, man, wow. Yeah, he just um, agreed to a long-term deal again through 2023. So this is a player who last season was an MLS All-Star. He had his men's national team debut in 2019. He started 20 of 25 games. And you're probably thinking, well, that's not that many. But he also missed a big chunk of games when he was with the under-20 men's national Mm. team competing for a World Cup. So that's a a big chunk of games that he wasn't able to play for Dallas. Pomacal is a central midfielder, right? And he plays typically in that double pivot. And one of the things that I like about him, and when you play in that double pivot, is you sometimes are a lone holding midfielder, and sometimes you get to advance a little bit more and play more of like an eight type of position where you can get up the field. And personally, Joe, I don't know about you, but I like him more as an advanced player. I think I'm still completely undecided on where on earth Paxton Pomacal should play. So I want you to tell me why, and then maybe I'll come back at you with something. So let's talk about him in a more advanced position. So the ball is working down the right side for Dallas. I watched the game against the second half when he came in uh, against Montreal. And so as the ball is advancing down the right side, the two holding mids in that double pivot, one almost drops back and then Pomichol's on the left side. So he's the far-sided holding midfielder at this point. As the ball goes in Tiago, to Tiago Santos from the right side into that holding mid spot, it's the ball's traveling and Pomichol goes up the field, just like runs straight at the back line, just to create space for Santos. What happens there is then Santos could advance the ball into this bigger gap on the field and create an overload on the left side then. So Pomichol now is in this space right in front of the back line where when he receives the ball then from Santos or from the outside back on that side, on the left side, he is then able to face either the back line and receive the ball there and make the back line have to make a decision, or he can break the back line and allow the outside back to dribble inside and create something there. So I just like his decision-making, not necessarily always on the ball when he's in an advanced space. It's really what he does off the ball to create space for other people. And that's huge, right? Having a central midfielder, especially, I think, but having a player who sees that space and is willing to make 
to make runs and to move off the ball to create space, whether that's for Santos or for Ryan Hollingshead on the left side at left back who can dribble in onto his right foot from that spot. Having an unselfish young player who sees and moves and exploits space with and without the ball, that's huge. Because I think we do tend to talk about on-ball work because that's the easier thing to see, easier to recognize, easier to analyze. But digging into Pomichol's movement off the ball, I think, is... It's a lot of what makes him such a great player. And Jordan, to answer your actual question of where I like him on the field, I think that argument convinced me because you can exploit a lot of pockets of space as sort of that more mobile half of a double pivot Mm -hmm. or as just a straight up number eight in a three man midfield. I think something like that, a spot like that suits Pomico's skill set really well because he has the work rate. Number one, he's quick with and without the ball and he likes to move into space like you're talking about. And so all of those things tied into the total package. I think that's perfect for a more advanced central midfield spot. And Pomichol is the player that when he's on the ball, right, he can drop dimes. He can switch the point of attack. He can play short one-twos in tight spaces. It's not as if – and he can dribble out of tight spaces as well. So his ability on the ball is great, but I really like what he does off the ball. Yeah, yeah. All right, so where's he going? Where's he going, Jordan? All right, I am saying Bayer Leverkusen. Oh, okay, okay. Before you elaborate on that, I think – we probably should have mentioned this in the lead up to this. We're also going to, if you didn't listen to last week's show, we're going to find a potential club that these young American players could move to in Europe to further their careers. So Jordan yeah. picked Bayer Leverkusen for Paxton Pomichol. Why? Pomichol's really good on the ball, right? He wants to be at a, on a team where they play in that 4-2-3-1. They are mixture of this possession, but also one of the things that I think you and I know about Pomichol too, is that because he advances into that high role in transition, he can press high Mm -hmm. in almost a counter press and win the ball in really high up situations, trying to create then in the attacking third. So that type of style in the Bundesliga, you know, there's, there's already a lot of Americans there, maybe makes that transition a little bit easier for him. He can call up his friends and say, (laughs) Oh, what's happening? Like, can you give me a little rundown? I'm sure he watches a ton of games too, but um, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's a high level club, right? But I do think Pomichol is good enough. We saw him play really well against France in that U20 World Cup where the the US did actually win that matchup against France. And I think the round of 16. So Pomichol is is a quality player. And we've gone through the reasons behind that. And Jordan, you covered it well. And I think a club like Leverkusen is not beyond his reach. It's just interesting. I think he, I think he could do it, and I think this is one of the cool things about this. A lot of these, like he's twenty years old. Yeah, young guy. Yeah. So, all right, Joe, who do you have for your first one? All right. So sticking with the FC Dallas theme, I am going with Reggie Cannon, twenty-two year old right back. Just quickly to throw an honorable mention in here, Jesus Ferreira did not make the cut. The reason why Jordan that we didn't include him in this list. Number one, we have the rule that prohibits us from doing that, but also. In my conversation with Luchi Gonzalez from a couple weeks ago, a month ago, whenever it was, time does move strangely nowadays. I asked Luchi Gonzalez about Jesus Ferreira. So if we're looking for some analysis from someone who's much more well-informed on this topic than we are, go check out my conversation with Luchi because he, he hit at what Jesus Ferreira does and what he likes about Ferreira. So setting that aside for a moment and going back to the player that I'm actually here to talk about, Reggie Cannon few quick bullet points that I love about Reggie Cannon, and I'm going to start with a theme that you presented with Pomichol at the very end of your analysis of him. Quick to counterpress, right? Reggie Cannon mm-hmm. is so quick to step to the ball because, number one, he's fast, right? He's right. quick. He's got those long legs. He's able to cover ground. But when SC Dallas lose possession high up the field, I watched a number of clips of Reggie Cannon, and so often he was the very first guy to step to the ball, regardless of Actually, let me rephrase that. He was the very first guy to step to do his pressing responsibility. If that means he's Mm. on the ball and pressing the ball, great, he's there. 
if that means pressing a man so that they can't play the ball into his man, he's there too. It doesn't matter. He understands so clearly what his responsibilities are in FC Dallas's counterpress after they lose possession, and he's quick to act on those moments. So that's one yeah. thing that I really, really noticed about Kanan's game that honestly I hadn't noticed before. I like that point. And it allows him when he is in those spots. One of the things that Dallas does well is they counterpress well with Cannon's ability to read that quickly. Then it puts him in a space where then he can also create something on the attacking side when they do win the ball. Yeah, that's I mean, and that's a perfect transition to the next thing that I have on him. The other attribute that I really love about Reggie Cannon is his comfort with the ball. And this is split into kind of two ways. He's comfortable on mm-hmm. the ball. He's comfortable dribbling forward especially with a Dallas team that that can be sometimes a little slow with their ball movement, having Reggie Cannon, who's kind of willing to go more vertically and to take the ball and run at someone, with Michael Barrios especially on that right wing with Cannon. Those two guys, I think, are their best two vertical attackers that like to move in attack space directly. And so, you know, FC Dallas are passing the ball, pass, 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 and then Cannon gets the ball, and boom, he and Barrios are running at the opposing left side of the defense, left back, left wing, whatever that is. They're moving, and so that vertical that desire to go forward quickly and directly is huge. And that is a real asset to Dallas. The other thing is Uh he's comfortable moving into different vertical channels. And I'm confident this is a new thing under Luchi Gonzalez. I don't think this is something that Oscar Pereja would have had Reggie Cannon doing very much when he was in charge of FC Dallas. But Cannon now went in possession. He and Barrios work in tandem all the time with Cannon tucking in, Barrios hugging wide or vice versa. It doesn't matter. Cannon has that working relationship with Barrios that allows him to move inside sometimes to receive the ball and then turn like a central midfielder. It really yeah. makes him this well-rounded player with, without the ball and when his team is pressing defensively. We're seeing that so much more, I feel like, in the modern game in the last couple of years. And it really has it's been making a winger and an outside back position so much more difficult to defend the channels because you don't know who's typically going to be in that channel, right? It switches off so many in so many different situations. And I think that's right on the head of what Cannon can give you. And it, it, it makes it difficult for the opposing defender, right? If you imagine Cannon and Barrios on Cannon in the inside channel in that right half space and mm-hmm. Barrios out on the wing, the opposing outside midfielder or winger has to choose, right? It's essentially a built-in 2v1 overload against that defender. And you're making right. them choose, do I stay inside the cannon and allow the pass out wide to Barrios, which is probably what teams would pick most of the time, just because typically they want to funnel the ball wide. Or do you step to Barrios, who's probably the more dangerous, quicker attacker, just because he, he does right. spend more time up the field, and leave cannon inside, who can now actually playmake with the ball. I mean, it's, again, putting defenders in impossible situations, and that's what Lucha Gonzalez has done with this team. Yeah, so Lucci might have to lose Cannon to, to a club. Who, who's he losing him to? Real Betis in Spain. That's that's Ooh. where I'm going. We don't have a lot of people going in Spain, going to Spain in our in our predictions here. So I decided to change things up, Jordan. I like it. Okay, tell me why. The idea here is I haven't seen a lot of Betis, but I know especially under Kike Setien, Betis loves to keep the ball. I mean, they they kept the ball at all costs, and that's perfect, right? That's why you counterpress. That's why you step to the ball to win it back, so you can have more of the ball, defending actively with and without possession. So now, even without Kike Setien, who's at Barcelona coaching them, they still like to keep the ball. They still have high possession numbers, they have high passing numbers, and for Cannon, a guy who's playing under Luchi Gonzalez, who wants the same basic principles of how Batiste plays, the similar philosophies between Dallas and Batiste, would allow for somewhat of a smooth transition. Obviously, the level is higher. La Liga, the ball's going to move faster, it's going to be harder in general. But the play styles are similar enough that I think this could work. And just the attributes that you've 
listed off for Cannon, his ability to read the game and how intelligent he is in reading the game in different situations, coupled with his agility and speed that you also mentioned. I think that that sets you up to go play in a lot of different places, that being one of them. Yeah, so Reggie Cannon to Batiste, you heard it here first. Hey, everybody, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show. Much more still to come from Joe and Jordan. But first, I wanted to let you know that this episode of MLS Assist is brought to you by Hawthorne. We've talked about Hawthorne before. We're going to do it again. Hawthorne helps find the personal grooming products that are best for you. The basic way it works is you go to their website, you take their quiz, you tell them about your hair type, your skin type, your shower habits, your lifestyle. Uh, Then once you've done that, you get the products that are recommended. You can choose those. You get free shipping on any of them. They will send them to you. And then if you want the recurring aspect of it, uh, they will then use the data to predict when you'll run out. They'll send you auto refills. That way you're always ready. So if you say want to try out cologne, for example, uh, but you don't want to go to the mall, you don't want to go to Sephora, you can check out their uh, options by sort of answering some questions that tell them what you like, what smells you like, what smells you don't like, how you tend to wear it, when you tend to wear it, all that good stuff. And then they'll provide you with some recommendations, which you can obviously choose to accept. And again, that quiz is about two minutes long, doesn't take very long at all. It's not anything close to the SAT. There's no studying involved, put it that way. Uh, So check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E with an E uh, dot C-O, not dot com. Hawthorne.co. And you Use our promo code TSS to get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co and use the promo code TSS to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. Now, back to Joe and Jordan and MLS Assist. Jordan, our third (laughs) player of the day, who you got for us? Okay, we're staying in the South. We're going to Miles Robinson for Atlanta United. 23-year-old Robinson did go play college for a couple years. So he played two years at Syracuse. He was the second pick in the 2017 Super Draft. And last year was, uh, you know, a really big year for him. He had two games with the U.S. Men's National Team in 2019 and made 33 starts of 34 games for Atlanta United. And uh, he... It was such a key player in the way that they played. He set a minutes record for the club for most minutes played by an outfield player, which is pretty incredible if you think about some of the players that Atlanta United has had, right? And not to mention Michael Parkhurst has said Miles Robinson is the best 1v1 defender he's ever seen. And um, that's a pretty good shout coming from Parkhurst, right? So uh, his his play last year really elevated him to to show how he could play in a top league in MLS and with the men's national team. And I, I think that Robinson is good on the ball, right? He can play out of situations. But what I really think is best about him is his ability off the ball, right? Who he is as a defender, as a center back. Um, He's a really good 1v1 defender. And not only that, but when he's tracking runners in the box, one of the things I noticed is he's really good at bodying up a player, which I don't honestly, sometimes I don't see a lot in MLS as far as runs go. So if you're running side by side with a, a forward and they're trying to cut to go to the near post, he bumps them and then beats them to the space. And I don't see that a lot. Like, I want to see it more. I think I talked about it a lot when I was calling games for um, the Colorado Rapids on the radio. Is like, I wanted a little bit more physicality and, and nothing that is overly aggressive, but just to show the presence of who you are and and you, this is my space, right? You're not going to win that space. So And disrupting, um, sorry to cut you off, disrupting the timing of runs from yeah. those forwards, because forwards, I think I, I really realized this in 
in when we were talking about Robbie Keane on the best MLS DPs in history, right? Uh-huh. I realized watching Robbie Keane, forwards want to thrive off that movement in the box. They yes. need that timing. They need to be able to move freely. And so when a center back comes in and says, no, you're yeah. not going to move freely. I'm going to disrupt you. I'm going to put a shoulder in, not to, not to foul you overly aggressively, but to disrupt that timing, that's yeah. going to have a big impact and going to make that forwards game completely change for that match. Yeah. So I really like the way that he does that and his ability to then cut the passing lane or cut the shot off and block a shot. He sacrifices his body really well. But one of the things I think he's really good at is just chasing down players, right? I would say in watching Atlanta play, one of the biggest communicators on the back line, right? So he holds where the line sits. And what we know about Atlanta is they throw numbers forward, right? (laughs) They want to go forward. They want to go forward fast. And a lot of the times they have the ball for long periods of time. So what that makes other teams play against them usually and typically is some kind of counterattack, right? Since he's holding the line and where they set the line, he knows he has the ability to chase down in behind the space, right? That he can close space really well. What I want to see better from him, and so this is a little something that I I, I had to add this in there because I want to see him anticipate a little bit better, right? Instead of always having to chase down players, can he read the play a little bit quicker, drop, keep the ball in front of him, and dictate where his back line is there. The first player that always sticks out to me when I talk about that is Becky Sauerbrunn for the women's national team. She is one of the best players in the world at that kind of defending. But um, I think that's really one of his strengths, right? Is he, he can keep his back line organized, but then when they do get beat and the other team gets in behind, I can't think of a very specific play, but we all have seen those plays from Robinson, right? He's chasing in behind. He can cut the space off and not only just um, get there in time, but a lot of the times he can poke it away the ball away and keep possession within his team too. You know, maybe he finds Guzan with that little poke and then they can keep possession going the other way. I love that you pointed out the need to improve in that specific area, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're talking about players who are going to, in in almost all these cases, if not all these cases, be moving up a level in terms of speed of play on the field. Mm -hmm. If you're looking at guys who are going to be going and testing themselves at at a slightly higher or a much higher level, you need that brain to go with the physical attributes. You need the anticipation as a center back, especially to go with your top, top speed. Because Robinson is hugely fast, and you touched on that really well. He's got plenty of speed. But with that, you can't always win, even if you're got, even if you're the fastest guy on the field. If you're right. not moving into spaces before the other opponent gets there, you're not going to win every battle. And so having that part of his game called out to develop for Miles Robinson as, as he, I'm sure, is looking forward to a move, and as we are talking about the idea of him moving on, I think that's a really important thing to note and something that we should be watching for as, as people are going to continue watching Robinson with Atlanta and then as he potentially does make this move. Keep an eye on that. Right. So speaking of move and going to a higher level, I'm going to, I'm going to throw it to the premier league. I'm going to say miles Robinson to West Ham. (laughs) West Ham, the long rumored home of national team center backs. I'm here for it. Right. Uh, So Aaron long is the, the player that you are mentioning there. And West Ham is a team that, you know, typically doesn't have a lot of the ball, which means that you're going to be defending a little bit more than normal. So if you're a good one V one defender, if you're good at chasing balls down and winning back possession for your team. And like I mentioned before, and I didn't hit on this very much, but he is good on the ball, right? He can be a part of the way Atlanta plays forward and how they uh, connect the line. So that is not something that he couldn't do. So, so could he be that connection for West Ham in transition moments, in 
trying to spring forward what they have on the front line. One of the things that 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 move you have to be play a certain number of games for your national team in order to move to the Premier League, right? right. So that is kind of holding him back to that big of a move right now. But I think Robinson, if if he didn't sustain that injury, I think we would have seen him a lot more, playing a lot more minutes for the men's national team already. I agree. And if we'd had some of these friendlies that have been canceled in the Nations League games that have been put off and things like that happening over the next, over what would have been the last few months, I guess, and, and now moving into the next couple of months headed into the fall, it's really possible that by the time this MLS season ended, he could have had the prerequisite number of caps to actually make that move, or he could have been close to it at least. Right, um, yeah. So yeah, that's a really good point about West about him needing those caps to make the move to West Ham. But I think like if West Ham want Aaron Long, Miles Robinson is basically like the up-and-coming version of Aaron Long in a lot of ways, but with higher upside. So it mm-hmm. seems kind of perfect to me. Yeah, I like it. All right. I think it would fit. Jordan, we've gone through three guys. I'm staying on the back line. Left back for the Colorado Rapids, Sam Vines, 21 years old. We talk a lot about offensive things in general. Today, I think we've actually done a really good job of touching on the defensive side of the ball, which I love. And I'm going to keep that trend up because Sam Vines is a lockdown 1v1 defender. You've mentioned it on the show before, but I want to go back to a match against LAFC last season at home for the Colorado Rapids, a 1-0 win over Bob Bradley's LAFC team. Jordan, I assume you were at that game, first of all, in Colorado. I wasn't, but this is, I was in France with the U.S. Women's National Team. Oh, okay, big flex. But, but, yeah, just (laughs) dropping that in there. But I remember opening, because I was following every Rapids game that were happening when I was sleeping, but, like, then I would wake up and, like, check all the Twitter talk, you know, and everybody was, like, sandbines, sandbines, sandbines. And so I went back and watched, and I was like, dude, pocket he just pocketed Carlos Vela he did he 100% did and I went back to watch all of his touches from that game USMNT videos had a video out on that game of Sam Bynes' performance against Carlos Vela and LAFC Carlos Vela went at Sam Bynes at the beginning mm-hmm. of that game which I assume was by design right why not the best player yeah. in MLS going up against a young fullback it's perfect I'm sure Carlos Vela was licking his lips going into that matchup Sam Bynes gave him nothing, and Vela moved away from that side. In, within like 10 minutes of the game, he moved very quickly from the right wing for Vela into the middle of the field to play as that sort of false nine. Sam Bynes forced the best player in MLS, I just want to emphasize this, to move out from his preferred <laughs> spot into the middle of the field. I mean, this guy has all the tools of a top-tier 1v1 defender. He closes space quickly between himself and the ball carrier. He doesn't overcommit into that space either, which would allow his man to take a quick touch around him. He's patient with his movement and quick, which is such a hard balance to find, I think. Mm -hmm. He accelerates as his opponent accelerates. So he stays with his man as as his opponent moves with the ball, explodes quickly into a sprint, but also controls his movement and can slow down if necessary. So he's always glued to the ball at an appropriate distance and then ready when there's a loose touch to step right in there, get his shoulder into the attacker and use that to disrupt their rhythm and step in and win the ball. I mean, these things that Sam Vines has... I don't think a lot of other players in Major League Soccer, number one, have this skill set. And certainly young Americans have it. And you know what is interesting to me, too, is when I think about defensive things, I also think about like what you do attacking wise that makes it hard for the other team to defend you. So mm-hmm. then you can defend higher up on the field. Yeah. And I think Sam Vines does that really well. And um, I think we've talked, you and I have talked before about his ability to almost look like he's a central midfielder. He yeah, tucks mm-hmm. inside and can, can beat you on the dribble or connect through the midfield like he's a 
a part of that central midfield. And I think that makes him really dangerous too. And really good because then you just flip the script, right? You say, you guys have to defend me. And now if we win the ball, I'm here. I can press, I can win the ball back higher on the field and create opportunities higher up for my team. Sam Vines, I think with that offensive movement is, I think he's a complete left back. I honestly do. Like he can move high and wide. He can step into midfield. Like he's a modern fullback offensively and still a rugged, hard defending fullback defensively like I think my appreciation for Sam Vines has reached not only an all-time high but I think I have a better idea of who this guy is and honestly Jordan European teams should be falling over themselves to get this guy I honestly believe that and he's so young and just knowing him from you know I got to see him close up in Colorado and his work rate, his his attention to detail in training as a student of the game I think is something that you can't you can't change, you know, you can't pay for that, like pay enough for that. He just wants to get better and he wants to uh, continue to advance his game. So those are really little intricacies about who he is. I think that also adds to what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, he got his first cap for the national team in the January camp, even though that game was actually played in February against Costa Rica, but got the first appearance under Greg Berhalter. I'm I'm very sure he's going to be in more games for the national team. And that's going to be important because like Miles Robinson, I have... Sam Bynes moving to the Premier League. Burnley is where I've got him going. So Sean Deitch has Burnley defending for their lives in the Premier League. I think that's the summary of how Burnley play is is defend, (laughs) defend, defend. And for a team that's built to play without the ball, why would you say no to a lockdown left back? Like my logic here is pretty straightforward. If you could get a really highly skilled 1v1 defender who can also provide value in transition and in possession... I mean, a team like Burnley who doesn't have much of the ball, and when they do, they want to use it effectively, obviously. Burnley seems perfect for him. And he has an engine, right? So he could do all that defensive work, and then if there are opportunities to counterattack, he could get himself forward with pace, with speed, and try to be a part of that attack, right? With like still able to recover on the other end as well. Yeah, I mean, I think also one more thing before we move on. I think Sam Vines could be the best thing that happened to Sergio Dest. Um, I made that video, obviously, of Dest's ability uh-huh. as a left back, but I think he probably would prefer to play on the right side of the field because that's, that's where he ends up playing most of the time for Ajax and for wherever he's going to move to eventually in Europe. Having Vines on the left and Sergio Dest on the right doesn't sound like a bad fullback pairing to me. So I'm just going to leave us your, there. Yeah, I was going to say, when are you predicting that to be the back line? Oh boy, oh boy. Maybe, give me a year. I think in the next year we'll see that fullback okay. pairing. I really do. Hey, you know what happens in a year? A lot of World Cup qualifying now. so Things are going to be compact. There's going to be a lot of national team games, and it would not shock me at all to see that pairing. Yeah. Jordan, we've gone through four players. On to number five. Who you got for us? I'm going San Jose Earthquakes holding midfielder Jackson Ewell. Okay, another emerging national team player. Tell us about him. Well, he's 23 years old, uh, sixth pick in that 17 super draft, along with Miles Robinson, who I mentioned before. Not a, so he not played a bad a couple, top of the draft. Yeah, I was looking back at that 17 draft, and I was thinking, wow, that's some good players that came out of there. And Yule being one of them, he played over 2,600 minutes last year with the Earthquakes. So he not only set the tone for them, I think, with the number of minutes and the consistency. But that he's doing that at 23 years old, which I think is a big thing about about him. It's his fourth season, so he's kind of worked himself up there. He had 13 games in his second season to 21 to 32 this last year. So he's continuing to progress is what I want to say there. Like when I'm looking at how he's building himself, it's year by year, better, better, better. 
one of the things that I think sets him apart from if you're thinking about Pomichol in Dallas. So both of them can play in this holding mids position, right? But I think Yule is a true holding mid. He can play in a uh, 4-3-3 as the lone player. He can play in a 4-2-3-1 as a double pivot. But he likes to hold because I think he just wants to be the pacemaker, right? He wants to be the metronome of this team. Get the ball, connect. Get the ball, connect. So when you think about a player like that, you kind of can think of like some smaller range passes, but he also has the ability to sense pressure and to play through the lines. So one of the things I really liked about him when I was watching um, back a couple of the games from earlier in the year is this is one of his favorite passes. He'll get the ball as a holding midfielder and he'll play this low driven ball to an inverted winger to the opposite side. So what happens is the earthquakes like to push, let's say it's the left side and Lima likes to fly down that left side, right? So he'll occupy the channel. What happens then is the winger comes inside and almost pops right off the outside back. So the outside back's like, who do I want to go to? Right. That's who you want. Yeah. Yule recognizes this time and time again. And Lima's the bigger threat in that position, right? But he will just thread this ball through the lines to the inverted winger. So then it's a 2v1 deep in the earthquakes attacking half where then they can attack down the wing, which is what they want to do, right? When you have a player, um, the players that they do, especially Chris Wondolowski, who thrives off cross balls and, and scoring in those situations, you know, all of that is created by Jackson Ewell and what he can do on the ball. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good analysis of his offensive game. While you're talking about this, I know the theme of today's show is moving players to Europe. But man, I think if I could pick one move for Jackson Ewell, it would actually be to have him go to LAFC to play for Bob Bradley after mm-hmm. Atuesta gets sold to another team. I mean, can't Ew. you just see that, right? Can't you see Jackson Ewell <laughs> loving to sit in that number six role in LAFC's three-man midfield, play line-breaking passes into the forwards who tucked inside, or to play oh, that yeah. ball that you were just talking about out to the left side, I mean, there are so many things that I think Bob Bradley could do with him. Not that Mateus Almeida isn't helping his game, because I think defensively he's improved a lot over the last Mm -hmm. season and change. But man, while you're talking about this, I was just thinking about how Bob Bradley would love, I assume would love to get his hands on a Jackson Yule, on another Jackson Yule type player, because he already has one in Atuesta. Right. And I think that those qualities that you have to have in order to play in a system like that is you have to have the work rate and you have to have the discipline. But playing for Almeida, he wants to play in this man marking system. And I can feel really uncomfortable as a central uh, holding midfielder, right? Because you want to occupy that space in front of your center backs. That's what you're taught as that holding midfielder. And so when your man is pulling you out of that space, you have to be disciplined to stay with your man and do what the coach is asking you to do. And I think he's really moldable, right? He's willing to say, okay, I trust in you. You're my coach. I'm going to do what you ask of me and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. And so I like his discipline defensively as well because it allows him to adapt to Almeida's style, but also to Greg Berhalter's style when he's playing for the men's national team in more of a traditional holding mids position. Okay, so he's adaptable. He's skilled offensively. He's growing defensively. Where's Jackson Ewell going, Jordan? I'm going to put him at Sassuolo in Syria. Okay. Under the radar team, a team that I'm not especially familiar with. Tell me why. Yeah. I, I think that Syria is a, a place where you can have that tough defensive discipline, right? Italians are known for that style of play, but 
he's a good passer and they want to have that holding mid in this system where they can play at this decent level. They can keep the ball, but also he might have the ability to break into the squad there. So I, I just think that Syria is a, a space where I know that last week you, I can't remember the player that you mentioned, but you brought a team, you brought somebody to go to AC Milan, right? AC Milan. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm going Syria. Does, um, does Sassuolo play with the ball more than a lot of the other teams in Serie A? Or is there, is there any other reason for that connection, I guess? Yeah, they're, they're a pass-heavy team. They want to keep the ball. They want to set that pace right with their midfielders. And I think that that's what Ewell can do. He can be that holding midfielder who is the metro- metronome, who dictates, okay, let's play it, play it, play it. But then he can ping that ball to the opposite side and say, let's go now. Like, there is an, there is a... Uh, man up situation on the far side. Let's take let's take control of it. Hey everybody, this is Taylor jumping in one last time to let you know that this episode of MLS Assist is brought to you by Podium Wear. Podium Wear is a custom team apparel manufacturer in Minnesota that is turning the world of team soccer kit ordering on its head. They provide custom designs in a full line of soccer apparel, all made to order in their St. Paul factory. This is a family-owned business. The founder, Reed Lutter, is super friendly, has built a pretty cool U.S.-based manufacturing business. In normal times, we'd talk about how great this process is and how your experience ordering for your team or your kids club teams will be made infinitely easier it is sort of difficult to find the right jersey uh, at the right price i have experienced that before especially replacement jerseys so that's where podium wear can help you out but these are not normal times because of the covid19 crisis podium wear has started making face masks for you to wear while you're out and about on the sideline of a soccer match or even during your workouts even during a protest maybe you can buy one for yourself or customize masks for a team so you can look to them to help with your face mask needs and then when normal times resume you can think of podium wear for your or your kids soccer kits. They're also looking for soccer sales reps to spread their brand across the country. For more information, you can visit the jobs page at podiumwear.com. And while you're at podiumwear.com, you can get your custom mask today and then bookmark them for when you're ready for your next soccer kit order. That's podiumwear.com. Check them out today. Okay, I love it. Jordan, we're going to move on to our next player, another holding midfielder, James Sands for NYCFC. Okay. Let me know what you think about him. So he's 19 years old. He's the first homegrown signing in NYCFC history. And I picked him as my holding midfielder for the Joe versus Jordan MLS Tactics Showdown, yeah, which I'm pretty you sure you won. But we don't need to get into that. There's no, there's no need to revisit history there. Um, Sands allows for those Franco Escobar type 3B2 advantages along the back line. Um, mm-hmm. So if you didn't hear last week's show, number one, go back and listen to it. There's a lot of good stuff on there. But if you, even if you did, we're going to give a quick refresher on what that is. So... Last week, I talked about how right center back Escobar in Atlanta helps Frank DeBoer's team take advantage of 3v2 numerical advantages over the opposing front two. Sands does the same thing, but in a little bit of a different way. Okay. Through most of his time, most of the time he plays as a central defensive midfielder, but he frequently drops between the center backs, which is a pretty common rotation. We see that a lot for teams that keep the ball. It's not necessarily to distribute, though. I think Jackson Ewell even does that movement sometimes, and he does it to get time and space on the ball to spray it out wide. Sands isn't trying to play these long diagonal passes from that center-center-back spot. He's trying to give time to Alexander Kyens and Maxime Chanot to carry the ball forward and for them to be the primary playmakers. Oh. So it's a subtle movement, but I really like it about Sands' game because it allows his teammates to thrive in addition to just giving everyone on the field more time and space as he has the ball in between the two center backs. So unselfish there. It is, it is. It's not like this hugely high-profile movement that allows Sands to shine. It's, it's him understanding and him reacting to what his coaches are instructing him to do and allowing his own teammates to actually have chances on the ball. 
That's one of the things I love most about the holding midfielder position is it isn't shiny, right? It isn't yeah. this like I am the most flashiest player ever, but I think of my favorite, some of my favorite players and they were holding midfielders because you knew if you know the game, you know that they orchestrate so much of it. Not shiny. I love that quote, Jordan, because I think that describes his game so well, because the other main thing that I like about Sands' abilities on the field is his defensive work. He's a very savvy defender, which I think is especially impressive for a teenager. He's 19. He's good at pestering opponents when they have the ball. He's always happy to step to the ball He'll stay between the opponent player with the ball or the opposing player that's about to receive the ball. He'll stay between them and the goal at all times. Like he'll, he'll lurk right behind them and then step in at the last second to win the ball. And then in situations where he is beaten, because those do happen, he has no issue with putting a tactical foul into play. Like he has no problem bringing a guy down, taking a yellow or just taking a hard early foul to stop an opposing counterattack that could cause Sean Johnson some problems later on. So Sand's savviness without the ball is not shininess. It's not, it's, it's none of these hugely flashy things. Like even Yule, I think, is a much flashier player. He's a solid guy that you can rely on with the ball, but some of the passes he hits are more exciting and they're more interesting to the attacking players especially. But Mm -hmm. Sands is the subtle parts of his game, moving in between the center backs, tactical fouling, these little areas, I think make him such a reliable presence even as a teenager. And I think when we're going off this list and we're saying, oh, these people are good at this, this person's good at that, I think being solid at everything and just being a consistent member of your squad and knowing that you can be counted on. It sounds like Sands is that player, right? That you know what you're going to get every single game. And that's good enough to put you in a place where you could be in this talk about moving to a bigger European club. It is. And NYCFC's midfield is one of the most crowded position groups in MLS. I think Alexander Ring can play that central defensive midfield spot. Keaton Parks can move back there if they needed to. There are lots of guys in that midfield who are competing for minutes. And the fact that Sands has started to consistently make himself a presence in that central midfield is big for him. So where am I putting James Sands? That's the question here. Yeah. Hertha Berlin and the Bundesliga. Oh, Mid-table, right? So mid-table, I think on the rise in the Bundesliga, Sands can continue the streak of Americans heading to Germany, like you talked about with Paxton Bomical earlier, and develop his speed of play and transition work in this transition-heavy league at the same time. He also can play multiple spots for them, which is big to getting minutes. He can play permanently as a center back in a back two, in a back three, or as a number six. All of those factors, I think, make him a really appealing option for a Bundesliga team. Yeah. I also wonder, I I like that shout, by the way, but I also wonder if we're a little bit more biased to the Bundesliga right now because those are the only games we've been watching. So we're like, oh, let's just put, you know, is it that, Joe, or is it we've seen Americans go there and be successful? So we know that there is some kind of formula that works as well. It's 100% both things, right? It's it's the Bundesliga's top of mind right now. The Premier League, as of recording, has not started yet. Um, So we're not seeing those teams play consistently on NBC. We're seeing Bundesliga teams on Fox week in and week out multiple times a week. They're top of my mind. I'm guessing they're they're close to the top of yours as well as far as global soccer goes. And we've seen guys like Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney go there. Christian Pulisic as well as the biggest one. Go Mm -hmm. there, have success, and use those moves as a high point in their careers. Yeah, there was a really good article on The Athletic. I wish I could remember who wrote it, it off the top Stage of my head yeah. about the Bundesliga and why it's a good move yep. for Americans. So if you haven't read that, go read it, too, because I thought that was super interesting. That yeah, was really insightful. OK, Jordan, let's keep this train moving. Who's up next? OK, I am not going to talk about a holding midfielder again. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to talk about Georgie Mihailovic. Okay, Jordan, I'm intrigued. Why is Georgie Mihailovic one of the 10 guys that we thought can make this this jump? Because he's not as high profile as a lot of these other guys. Yeah, 
He's not. But I think one of the things that I'm excited to watch Mihailovic play this year is because last year, I don't know about you, Joe, but I heard a lot of people say he has to be more consistent. He has to be more consistent. He has to be more consistent. So you know what he's been working on over the last now, (laughs) you know, since this break as well, but including a thousand months. Yeah, is he is very tuned in on being more consistent. And I think we saw some really good performances from him in those first two games we watched the fire play. I also think that playing for Rafael Vicky is going to be beneficial to him, right? Because there's some patterns of play that Vicky likes to execute that I feel like are really can be very beneficial for Mihailovic's skill set. Okay, walk us through them. So, okay, I also want to say he's tore his ACL back in 17, and sometimes it takes a whole year to really get back into the mix of things and feel like, okay, I'm the player that I want to be again. So I there might be like a little, like I'm rooting for him because of that, because of my history as well. So um, he's playing this year as a left winger, and I think one of the things that's interesting about Mihailovic is he can play as a winger, but he can also play as a attacking midfielder, mm-hmm. right? And and create in that space. Okay, let's talk about the patterns of play that I mentioned. So he can play a, as a left winger in a four three three, but he doesn't always have to be that player that provides the width, right? He likes to drop in. As I mentioned, he can play as an attacking player as well in the center of midfield so he likes to drop into this pocket and uh joe i think we would call it a half space right in in between both the lines vertically and horizontally on the field it makes it really challenging to who is to is to mark him when he's in that space so as he drops in there he doesn't always want the ball to his feet so sometimes he checks the ball to get it to his feet but really what he's doing is he's baiting the players the defensive players to come with him into that space and then he breaks into to break the back line or use his speed and his quickness to try to create um decision making from the back line I think that's what he's really good at is he can read okay the defender is going to try to close me here as I check back to the ball okay as he closes me can I point at even my center forward can I give a little point that I want the ball actually to go to my center forward so I can spin off and get the ball in the space that I just created he's such a mobile player right his ability to not only communicate like you're talking there with the center forward but also to make those runs in behind the back line that's not something we hear about a lot either from an inverted winger or from a straight-up attacking midfielder at number 10, I think that mobility off the ball is a huge part of what makes him such a dangerous attacking guy. Totally. And one of his assists came from the opposite of this in the in the first game. He decided to occupy the channel, and it allowed Jonathan Bornstein to come inside and be more of an inverted outside back. And Mihailovic crossed the ball into a run to Bornstein at the near post, and Chicago scored a goal at home in the second game of the season. So these are, these are movements where it's this, it's not predictable, right? His movement off the ball is saying, okay, I'm going to be in here and I'm going to look like a center midfielder, but then I'm going to pop out and be on the top line, almost as like a a third front runner narrow, or I'll go wide. I think his variability in the way that he plays, he wants to be a player who is creative, right? He wants to have the freedom to be creative. And I think that, Rafael Vicky and his style allows for him in that to have that creativity while still executing patterns that he thinks are going to be successful for this squad. I think one of the reasons that Rafael Vicky likes Mihailovic and is trying to find ways, unique ways, unique patterns that you've gone through to use him with the fire is the same reasons that we've seen Greg Berhalter like Mihailovic with the national team. We've seen Berhalter call him into his very first camp in January camp back in 2019 
So Berhalter clearly has an affinity for Mihailovic. I think the, the draw there for a coach who wants to play that style and wants to keep the ball, to have players rotating on and off the ball, I think that's big, and that's a reason why Mihailovic isn't a really attractive player with the Chicago Fire. Yeah, absolutely. That was really well said. You you said that concisely, I think, better than I said it in all those other words that I said. So um, You do that to me all the time. I, I so think... you summed up James Sanders in, in the one word, not oh, two words, I guess, not shiny. And I had a whole spiel about him, so don't be too hard on yourself there. Um, um, no, but I like that. And I think, I don't know, there's just something about him. You know, there's players that just are like, I don't know, I feel like we got to watch out for him. He could do something that... Um, you know, if he shows up and he is consistent, I think he's going to be a handful in MLS. I 100% agree. His ability on the ball, we've talked a lot about off-ball movements and rotations. He's smooth on the ball in a, lot of, yeah. in a way that a lot of American players just aren't. And that's something right. to keep an eye on as well. He's in a, a really promising young attacking player for all the reasons we've mentioned, including his on-ball work. Yeah, I didn't even talk about it, his ability <laughs> on the ball, right? And, and he is silky smooth. Um, I'm going to say that Mihailovic is going to go to Basel in Switzerland. Okay, I think I see what you did there with a little Chicago Fire connection, but tell me more. <laughs> okay, you're right. Raphael Wicke used to coach there, so there might be some, still some connections there. It's not a top league, but still a league and a team that spends a lot of time attacking. It would help him continue to develop in that that area of his game, but also would be a good next step, right? Yeah, like, yeah. okay, he's continuing to improve. He is 21 years old. He's finding his flow again um, as he becomes this consistent player for the fire. And then if you bring that to a different league, if you're consistent there, then it might allow you to jump in within Europe a little bit easier. And and also that, that club is competing for European competitions a decent amount as they tend to finish towards the top of the Swiss league. That could be big for him, too, getting into those high-profile games in Europe, Europa League, Champions League, whatever it is. That could be a big step for him as well. Right. All right, I'm moving us on. Jordan, I'm going to talk about another Jordan. Jordan Morris, left-winger for the Seattle Sounders. Obviously, there's been plenty of discussion over the years, especially with Morris as he came into MLS, about his his decision not to move to Europe in the first place, right? Not to Mm. go to the Bundesliga. But we're going to pretend for a moment that we, we know Jordan Morris and that he wants to move to Europe and that this is the decision for him. Because to me, okay. to me, Jordan Angeli, talking about Jordan Morris, there's no reason why Morris could not move. He has the ability. We've seen him develop like crazy. There are very few players, I think, in American soccer that have changed their game and, and developed as much as Jordan Morris has. Oh, he, what I find really interesting, and I had just talked about Mihailovic, right, coming off an ACL. Morris came off an ACL and it was as if every second he was away, he was studying how he could be better when he got back onto the field. And it was like, whoa, what happened? Like he just hit the ground running and didn't stop. At one point, I think I went back and watched film from like 2015, his appearances with the national team. I think while he was still in college, or like could be a year or two off on that. But Jordan Morris at that time could only play in straight lines. He couldn't turn very well. He would move forward or he would turn and run backward to defend. It was really one-dimensional. He was fast, and that's what made him a really, really dangerous player because you can't discount someone like that. But he wasn't well-rounded at all. He had no left foot, really. He couldn't turn. He had a very limited skill set. And I think that's one of the things that we see is athleticism gets you to a certain place. And we see this with a lot of players. But once you hit that, like, everybody is athletic. Yeah. And I am just now amongst the numbers. Maybe I'm, you know, Morris is very fast, right? I can't, I can't take that away from him. But you have to continue to develop the other side of your game. And we've seen that with a number of players, uh, Morris being one of them. 
I watched a clip from a game in 2015 for the U.S. national team against Mexico, and Morris beat his man down the left wing. He's moving forward. He's moving forward. He's got a little separation. The guy who's defending him is just behind him, though. So there's not enough space really to cut the ball back to his right foot. But because he couldn't use his left foot at the time, instead of playing a fairly straightforward left foot across into the box, he tried to cut it back anyway. He couldn't slow his momentum in time. The defender closed him down. And I can't remember if the ball rolled out of bounds or if the other guy just took it from him. It doesn't matter. The point is that the left foot just wasn't there. And he Mm -hmm. tried to bring it onto his right foot every time. That's changed now. He's almost always willing now, especially when playing on the left side, as he does with the Sounders, he's almost always willing to use his left foot, especially when he's dribbling at an opposing defender. One of his go-to moves now involves a quick, strong touch with his right foot, the inside of his right foot, as he's dribbling on the left wing. So he's, he's 1v1 with the guy. He takes a big, quick, strong touch with the inside of his right, which kind of moves the ball diagonally across to his left. If you can imagine, maybe mm-hmm. even look at your own feet as you're listening to this. If you can imagine the ball hitting off of your right foot, going at an angle over to your left foot, and he'll use that split second of time and space and that brief moment of separation, he'll use that to get away from the defender and fire off a quick snapshot with his left foot at goal his left foot at goal yeah so that idea of now suddenly his left foot not only being sort of an average part of his game but a big part of one of his go-to moves as well when he's dribbling 1v1 that I think sums up Jordan Morris and his development better than any other player attribute I could think of so much so Joe get this the Columbus crew played the Sounders the second game of season and I'm I have heard Jordan Morris left foot, Jordan Morris left foot so many times, and it was the lack thereof. He was so good with his left foot that I was like, I think I said it a couple of times, like taking it to his left foot, like that's where he wanted it to go, as if like that's his strongest foot, because he just made it seem like he he's so equal now in his ability to go to either foot that to me, it didn't even think I didn't even think that that was his weaker foot. He's such a dangerous guy now. I, that, I love that observation, right? Coming in and looking at Jordan Morris neutrally. Now, as if yeah. as someone who hadn't maybe watched him, like if we had if we had someone come in who hadn't seen Morris four, five, six years now, and they looked at this guy and they'd say, "Wow, this is a really well-rounded attacking player who can play in the middle of the field, can play on either wing with either foot, and use his speed as a real asset, but not his only asset." Mm-hmm. I think that's why he's in contention to make this move on this list. If we had not known Jordan Morris's past history in terms of his desire to stay in Seattle at the time that he had the option to move to Germany, if we didn't know that and we hadn't seen him play before and we sat down and watched multiple games, Jordan Morris would be in contention for this list 100 times out of 100. So yeah. with that idea, my destination for Jordan Morris is Lille and Liga. A mm. little bit of an off-ball pick here. A little strange. Yeah, going French. The idea here to me is simply U.S. national team based. Tim Weah currently is at Lille in Liga, And I just want to have Jordan Morris and Tim Weah either oh, play yeah. together on opposite wings. Oh, so gosh. I think that would be fun. Maybe they yeah. can play as a, a central forward partnership because I'm interested in seeing both of these guys as number nines as well. But that's a different conversation. I want to have them battle out to see which guy should be higher on the national team depth chart. Honestly, I don't know who's better. They're very different players. They're at different stages in their career. But why not have that sort of decided for Greg Berhalter at Lille? It seems like a perfect fit for me. Um, let's get him and Tim Weah battling. <laughs> have that be the decision. Greg doesn't even have to make the decision. Exactly. It's just like whoever plays better there gets called up. <laughs> yeah, no, please don't <laughs> I'm do sure that. I'm sure their team would like that because, you know, you'd get consistent results from both of them as they try to prove that they're the better winger. Exactly. It seems like a perfect <laughs> sort of battle cage match on the field, obviously, but between these two oh young Americans. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. All right. I like it. I like We've it. got two more, Jordan. Let's finish yeah. strong here. Who's your last player for this list? 
Okay, my last player, it was hard. It was hard to choose between these two players. So I was going to Philadelphia Union. And there was a lot of chatter in my brain. Brandon Aronson, Mark McKenzie, which one should I choose? Um, And honestly, from my point of view, from the games this season, it was just a little bit easier for me to analyze Aronson on the ball and what he could do. So I I chose Aronson for that lone purpose. But I think Mark McKenzie is definitely, I mean, I know he is because you and I both talked about him. He is our honorable mention for this, along with uh, Ferreira, who we mentioned earlier. So, um, okay. So Brandon Aronson, he is 19 years old. He is a youngin. Um, signed back in 2018, uh, his first pro league, his first pro season was actually just last year. So he signed in 18, but he didn't start playing for the union on a pro level until the beginning of 19. His first season with the union as a pro, he started 25 games out of 28 games. That is incredible, right? And he got called into his first U.S. Men's National Team camp this um, earlier this year in January camp. There are so many things that I think I could say about Aronson. And I think first off, I just there is something about the way he moves that just he's so slippery. Like, I feel like that's the best word to use in describing him because he can get in behind a team better than anyone. So it's important to note the union playing this 4-4-2 formation, right? He sits at the top of that diamond in the midfield. And what makes him so interesting to me is his ability to quickly transition to attack. And I think that starts with his discipline in defending, right? So he really moderates their holding, the holding midfielder on the opposing team. He makes sure there's pressure on the ball there that, a lot of the times they don't even get the ball and they can't even switch the point of attack because he is just right on them. So because of his discipline in defending, it allows him to quickly transition into attack. One of the things I like about him the most is when the union win the ball, typically they can win it on a wing, right? They squeeze and press together, uh, containing the ball to the wing. And then because there are numbers up in that situation, they can win the ball and attack quickly. I saw time and time again is this pattern where they win the ball on the wing. And again, Aronson checks to the ball and it's about a two, three, four yard check. It's not very long, but every time he's checking with no other intention than for that ball to go in front of him. And uh, that ball is typically going into Shabilko. And then he does this quick little spin and Shabilko doesn't like bounce the ball back to him when you're thinking like away from the goal. He almost lays this like, horizontal pass so Aronson can pick up speed pick the ball up on the run and then dribble at the back line or even take that first touch to beat the back line and get in behind I love that Aronson I also love you using the word slippery by the way I I don't want to let that go unnoticed shiny and slippery today you're dropping great adjectives but he is right he has the quick movement he's able to go from zero to I mean however fast Aronson can run very quickly he's able Mm -hmm. to do that movement quickly and that allows him to to draw defenders to him, creating space for his his forwards in that four four two diamond shape, and then move and accelerate to go and actually combine in the attack. So not only is he creating space initially, but he's also then moving back to add another number into the attack as well. And I don't think there are many yeah. guys who can do or who do consistently do both of those things within the same sequence. Yeah. And when you're talking about attacking mids uh, in MLS, right, there's a lot of eyeballs, a lot of attention to these players because a lot of the times they're DPs, right? They're really 
high level players, they've cost a lot of money. So there's a lot of attention on them. And what can happen is when there's a lot of attention on you, you know that you can draw in defenders or draw out defenders. Now, Aronson is not one of those players, right? He's right. not a DP. He's not a, a big money player, but I think he has to say, he, he draws attention because his ability on the ball, he can receive under pressure and spin you. He can receive face you and combine, but he also does some really unselfish running that frees up the pocket of space that an attacking midfielder can occupy in attack, like right up the top of the 18 or right on the side of the D at the 18. He'll run diagonally into the corners, free up that space and allow the run of Bedoya or someone behind him to then come internal, right, and find that space. So I think he does a lot of unselfish running, too, which is maybe not as much noticed. I know we both love the the four four two diamond that Jim Curtin runs with the Union, just because it's so unique, especially yeah. in MLS. Aronson is a huge part of that. I think you've you've huge. detailed that very well as the tip of the diamond. He can even rotate within those four man midfield spots. You can go to one of the side positions and allow um, Montero to step up or Bedoya to step up, depending on the situation. Aronson's work rate and his willingness to move into and exploit space. All of these things are big parts of what allows Jim Curtin to run that system successfully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm going to keep him in that system. I'm going to send him to Germany, uh, Bundesliga, to Freiburg. Okay, Freiburg. I don't know a ton about Freiburg. Clue me in a little bit. Yeah, again, um, we already talked about maybe our bias right now about <laughs> the Bundesliga uh, with American players there. But uh, Freiburg is a mid-table team in the Bundesliga. They typically play uh, a lot of their games in a 4-4-2 or a 4-2-2-2 in that box midfield. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and I think it could lend itself to Aronson in the way he likes to attack. So because of that box, if he's one of those two attacking midfielders, he could also be a player that provides width for them. And he he does those movements, as I just said, his unselfish running to the to the wings to free up some space. He can create on the wings as well. So, um, yeah, I think that would be an interesting move for him. Yeah, I like Aronson in a four-man midfield. I think maybe it's just because that's what we've seen before. Yeah. But even changing yeah. the shape, you know, skewing it from a diamond and turning it on its angle to a box, I think having him having him as one of those two tens could be a really good spot for him. Yeah, I, that's how, where I'm going to go. I'm going to send him to Freiburg, and that's my last player. You've got one more for us, Joe. Why don't you let us know who it is? All right, we're going across the country to Los Angeles. Julian Araujo with the LA Galaxy, 18-year-old defender not not right back not center back i'm saying defender jordan okay okay keeping it general so he played and and the reason for that vagueness is is because i'm not sure where his best spot is he has played right back for just under 900 minutes for the galaxy last year but he's not a modern right back in that he doesn't excel and he doesn't love to get up and down on that right wing to to sort of move forward into the attack and combine in that space he can he's well-rounded so it's not that he's not able to do that but he's much more of a classic defensive-minded stay-home fullback, um, which is rare, right? I don't think yeah. that's something we see a lot now. Do you, do you see that paying off to not only playing centrally, but maybe in a three-back as well? That's Yeah, and that's exactly it. I think his Ooh. ability to stay home and defend makes him a perfect fit for a right center-back spot, or you know, in, whether that's a back two or a back three, or just a more reserved right-back in a system that wants to be left-side dominant and have mm-hmm. their left-sided attackers be the one providing the the dangerous attacking runs from the opposite side of Araujo. So yeah. I'm not sure where his best spot is. The problem, and, and Jordan, I don't really know how big of a problem this is, but a problem that I can think of is that he's not very tall. He's not a big guy in terms of his height. Um, he's under six foot for sure. And so I'm wondering, is that a, 
is that a problem for someone who's playing as a center back in a back two or a back three? Or have we seen enough guys in global soccer that height now, especially with how a lot of teams want to play with the ball on the ground, maybe isn't that big of a problem? Yeah, I'm trying to think, you know, my my brain goes immediately to outside backs first and height not being a problem. But then when you think about a center back, I don't I don't know. Um, I just I don't believe that height has to be the differentiating factor, right? That you could be a really good center back and read the game better than the player that you're playing against. And then in the end, be able to beat them to that space or challenge for the ball. Maybe, you know, if you have a really good vertical, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. 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 And that's, I think that's kind of what I was hoping you would say. Not that obviously like we've just solved it, like that any short person can play center back now, but I think his physical attributes do make him a promising player in that spot. He's had, he has hops, he has the vertical, he has the timing as well, I think, to make the, the jump at the right time because he's not tall. So he's got to compensate for his height somehow. And I think especially defending set pieces, he has the timing to see the ball rise up and then head it clear. Offensively, right. though, as well, he's an asset. He's a good distributor with his right foot. He can play the ball, break the lines forward with the ball on the ground. He can switch it to the weak side. He's a really well-rounded player on both sides of the ball. It's just that his his main skill set isn't bombing forward. It's more staying home being a distributor, almost more of a playmaker at that right-sided defensive spot, whether that's as a fullback or as a right-sided center back. Yeah, I like that. And I like how he doesn't have to fit of like this idea of a modern-day outside back, that he could be something different, and that's still worthy. Yeah, he's just a good player, right? He's a yeah. good soccer player. And so yeah. I don't know. I think a lot, a lot of where he should play depends on what club he ends up with in the future. For the Galaxy, it seems like, Guillermo Barcelota wants him as that right back, and that's fine. He can provide a lot mm-hmm. of value there, especially when you have Christian Pavone and Chicharito patrolling up top in the attack. And so maybe you don't need your right back to be bombing forward as much. Maybe you just want mm-hmm. him back to defend. I mean, I think of a game last season. Araujo, I, th- I think it might have been his first MLS start, but I'm not entirely sure. He went up against Albert Elise, who we talked about last week as being one of the most dangerous dribblers and one of the fastest guys in MLS. And Araujo mm-hmm. did a really, really good job on him. Sort of similar to Vines with LAFC, Arau had a similar, maybe not quite as good performance against Elise, but still a really quality performance. And so I think we can see his 1v1 attributes paying dividends defensively at right back. And I do believe he could play center back for either the national teams, the youth national teams, or a future club in Europe. Yeah. Youth national. I mean, he's still eligible for the 20s, That's the right. 23. I mean, everything. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you said you're up there. Who, where do you think he could go? So we've seen a healthy dose of talent of young Americans, especially go to the Bundesliga, right? We've also seen a lot of players either move from the Bundesliga or come straight from the United States to the Eredivisie in the Netherlands. And so that's Mm -hmm. my league for Araujo. And my team that I'm sending him to is AZ Alkmaar in the Eredivisie. So competitive Dutch team. Maybe not historically. I mean, I know Josie Altidore played there for a spell in his European journey. But they're really now under their new coach. They're really competitive. They're fun to watch. They move the ball fluidly. They press to win the ball after they lost it. They do a lot of things that require athletic defenders to cover ground and to step into space. Araujo mm-hmm. can do that, right? If he's isolated against a defender after his team is pushed high up the field, he can cover that ground. He can stay 1v1. That's not a problem. And he can distribute from the back when they do want to keep possession. So AZ Alkmaar in the Eredivisie is my pick for a young, defensive-minded Julian Araujo. Okay, Joe, we did it with 20 players over the last two weeks. (laughs) It's a pretty hefty size, right? We basically analyzed an entire squad. We put all these guys on one team. Um, That's that's pretty good Would it fit a team? 
No, we don't have any goalkeepers. Yeah, we don't have any goalkeepers, um, and we left Jesus Ferreira off as our number nine. <laughs> I guess Jordan Morris can play that spot. I don't know. We might uh, have a few holes in this squad, Jordan. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was fun, though. I, you know, and we could have left somebody out if we did. Make sure you hit us up. But um, we hopefully we didn't Mark Anthony K this episode as well. That's right. No, no more Mark Anthony Kang in future episodes. <laughs> Jordan, I had a blast talking with you in our last show before we really pivot all the way to the MLS's back tournament. Um, this was a lot of fun. I think we did good work analyzing these guys, and I'm excited to get into the tournament stuff next week. Yeah, it should be fun. That was a blast. Good, to, Just cool to hear about all these different players and um, always some good back and forth between us. So I appreciate it, Joe. That was, that was a fun episode. Absolutely. Listeners, thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode. Mm-hmm.